So uh, Joseph's brothers managed to sell him into slavery. Um, as the older brother myself, I'm kind of impressed. I try to get rid of my brother, I'm sure, plenty of times, but that never occurred to me. Um, yeah, obviously, that's a joke. That's, that's a legitimately terrible thing to do. Um, so we're going to talk about that a little bit, because as we, uh, as, as we always find, Scripture has many layers. So, you know, we'll start with what I just mentioned. They were originally going to kill him, and they compromised and sold him into slavery or something. Um, and that's bad. That's really, really bad. Um, and we often think of Joseph as the victim, because he is. I mean, he was victimized by his brothers. They sold him into slavery. He was victimized by uh, I don't know, like a culture or a system that allowed slavery, that kind of thing. But Joseph wasn't necessarily innocent either. If you don't know the story, uh, at the beginning of this particular chapter, uh, Joseph is essentially declared dad's favorite. He is the favorite son of Israel. And, uh, Joseph, or, and Israel uh, made that very clear by giving him the Technicolor dream code. I mean, the code of many colors. And Joseph, without, uh, you know, maybe reading the room, wore it. You know, it, it, it's, it's not like you want to blame the kid that's being bullied. You never blame the victim. But sometimes it's good to take a step back and say, what were the circumstances of this happening? So we kind of want to say for a moment, hey, Joseph, what happened to you is obviously bad and undeserved, but maybe read the room. And then to make things a little worse for him anyway, uh, he um, had some dreams. And as we'll see, or as we look at, at the story of Joseph, dreams are very important. They're kind of like one of the central themes and his, dreams, his dream essentially revealed to him that his brothers would bow down to him as some kind of authority. And Joseph, being the wise 17-year-old that he was, as the text tells us, decided to tell his brothers that. Again, hey Joseph, read the room. <laughs> they already hate you. That doesn't, again, excuse what his brothers did to him. Selling somebody, anybody, and then even maybe more so your brother into slavery is supremely evil. At the same time, Joseph was very provocative. He provoked. And, and, I, and I think that combination of things can tell us a lot about, like, I don't know, human nature. Things are, are, are rarely ever clear, clear cut. And so I kind of wonder at what Joseph was thinking. The text doesn't tell us, uh, but what, what Joseph was thinking when he was like at the bottom of that well or he was shackled to a camel on his way to Egypt. Because when something happens to us, circumstances or whatever, uh, th there's kind of like a spectrum of ways that we can respond. 
on the one hand, on the far end of the spectrum, is the whole, it's everybody else's fault but mine. In this scenario, uh, Joseph would be thinking, this is all my horrible, horrible brother's fault. You know, of course, dismissing that you were pretty provocative there, Joseph. You may know somebody like that, you may be like that. Of course, if you are like that, it'll probably be hard for you to tell. Other side of the spectrum is everything is my fault. This would be Joseph thinking, I 100% deserve what has just happened to me. That's not true either. But usually, I think we'll we'll, kind of lean one way or the other. And so it's probably worth just kind of asking yourself at some point, like, I wonder which direction I go. Because really neither is healthy and neither is true. Now, we have Joseph being provocative and paying for it dearly. Uh, on the one hand, in our first reading. In our second reading, we have Jesus. He is uh, held up before a kangaroo court. He never stood a chance. Uh, this this uh, convening group of officials gathered solely for the purpose of convicting him. So what's about to happen to Jesus is extraordinarily unjust and unfair. He does not deserve it. And yet Jesus uh, has been very provocative. Not like Joseph. I would say Joseph's actions were maybe a little more sinful. (laughs) Jesus was being provocative because that was what he had to do. Now, if you look carefully at that reading, and I mean, we won't go back through it, but if you go back to it, you'll you'll notice that the people uh, pulling the strings are the, the high priest and the chief priests. They're the ones that really need to get Jesus killed. Uh, we're, we're used to thinking of Jesus' enemies being like the Pharisees. And, and that's, I mean, yeah, a bunch of the Pharisees didn't like him, but uh, that was more of an internal debate. However, the chief priests, the high priests especially, the, the people who managed the temple realized pretty quick when Jesus got into Jerusalem that if this man is correct in terms of what he is teaching and what he's saying about himself, we are going to lose everything. And by that point, they had become very, very corrupt and actually very wealthy. It's a kind of an interesting but tragic story. And so they realized, like, this Galilean teacher needs to die. So Jesus was being provocative, but because he was telling the truth, as opposed to Joseph, who was being a younger brother. So think a little bit more, or or let's think a little deeper about what's happening with Jesus, because it's worth kind of setting on here. I know based on like the the sermon series, I was supposed to spend more time with Joseph, but I think this is kind of more interesting. Um, As Jesus is before the high priest, who is actively trying to get people to lie under oath, so to speak, using his spiritual authority to maintain his power and the power of the chief priests, 
using the influence and authority of the temple of God itself to preserve his position and eventually to force the occupation empire's hand and execute an innocent man. All of that swirling together is a very, very special kind of evil. And I think the gospel writers are being pretty intentional here. I don't think they're, they're in, intending to just give like a play-by-play, this is what happened. I think what they are actually trying to tell us is that really, as close as you can get to it, it is the sum total of human evil that results in Jesus' death. The manipulation of authority, spiritual, supposedly sacred authority, dishonesty and greed, fear, an inability to let go of power, an incredible selfishness that, yeah, he has to die, but at least if he dies, I get to keep what's mine. Like, that's really evil. And I think that the, the, the message that they are trying to kind of get us to, to buy into, or, the, or the, the rhythm or the way that this evil is kind of moving in and out of this situation, is to ultimately say that what happens to Jesus is evil itself exhausting itself, throwing everything it has at Jesus. And Jesus loses badly. Just like Joseph, as he is you know, handcuffed, or they probably didn't have handcuffs, tied to a camel or, or, or held under guard at a caravan, or in a caravan on, on his way to Egypt. Like that, that, that is losing big time. And I think the reason why that's significant for Jesus and will eventually be for Joseph is that if evil exhausts everything it has, it throws everything at him, including death itself, then when Jesus walks out of his tomb three days later on Easter Sunday, what left does evil have? Nothing. It can't actually make any claims over him anymore. As Paul the Apostle would later say, like, death is kind of it. That, that's the last thing that it has. And by losing badly, Jesus even defeated death. So first off, as Jesus is standing before a court that was only convened to convict him, manipulating and using and, and, and being as evil as evil can be. Jesus is about to transform suffering, transform even the meaning of death by evil exhausting itself and conquering it. So now we look to Joseph, and I've, I mean, who knows, but I, I'm willing to bet that Joseph didn't have like this idea of the Messiah, you know, many thousands of years, years later, but, but Joseph knew how to endure. Um, this is not going to be his only setback. 
In fact, even worse, he's going to have these moments where he starts to gain some reputation and things start to turn around and all of that is just going to be taken away from him. And he will start, he will go back to lower than when he started. That's hard. I don't know if you've known people who've learned how to suffer well. But usually there's a kind of strength there that comes from suffering well. (laughs) And and there's a very, very uh, beautiful, well-known line right towards the end when Joseph is actually with his brothers and they, they know who he is now. And... Uh, thankfully, Joseph doesn't have, like, the gall to say, hey, guys told you so, right? Because, you know, he learned how to read the room, apparently. But he said, what you intended for evil, God used for good. And as we, we take, like, these two stories and kind of hold them up next to each other, I think one very critical thing we can learn about the way of Jesus is that it is one of suffering redeemed and transformed. Not suffering ignored. Not suffering kind of numbed. Not suffering sort of like washed away with churchy language. But death transformed to life. Horrible things done to Joseph in order to feed and rescue many, many, many people. The way of Jesus is about taking your pain, your suffering, and your struggle and transforming it, bringing about resurrection life into it. Amen.